0: Our reading today is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. And it reads, now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds and brought the proceeds of what was sold they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need These are the words of the Lord thanks be to God Well, I think it's safe to say this theologically and, and otherwise, that the resurrection w- was and is the defining moment of the life of Jesus. But what I hope you see today and, and in the coming weeks is that the resurrection isn't only the defining moment of Jesus's life, it's also the defining moment of the people of God and their life and their existence. I mean, the coming Messiah was the was the thing that everybody had looked toward for generations. Um, Awaiting, awaiting this Messiah, this, this, this one that would come, that would save God's people from captivity and deliver them into the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what God does through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. So it's the defining moment of Jesus' life. The resurrection is the defining moment of the people of God. What I want you to understand this morning, particularly, and maybe in the coming weeks as well, is that the resurrection of Jesus is also the defining moment in your life that The resurrection of Jesus is the defining moment in my life. Those of you who are waiting on your defining moment. Um, if you're a uh, if you're a March Madness fan, you know you have that one shining moment montage that happens at the end of the tournament and has all the cool highlights. And if you're waiting for that moment, you've already had it in the person of Jesus. It's the resurrection. It's the the resurrection is the single event. Not just in Jesus's life and the history of God's people, in your life and in my life, but in all of humanity, the resurrection of Jesus is the defining moment. I don't know if we really get that, or we really live with a sense of the significance of that, or if we just relegate it to this particular time of year and thinking about the resurrection. But we are a resurrection people. Every time we gather together on a Sunday morning, whether it's in the, the Easter tide season or, or not, is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Every single Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Every single day of the week, we are to live in light of the resurrection, allowing the implication of the resurrection of Jesus to infiltrate every single part of who we are. The church is born out of the resurrection. Do you see that? Before the, before the Jesus was crucified, Jesus had all these followers, and they were gathering around him, and some of them were very close to Jesus, like the 12. And others just sort of followed him from a distance, or they were intrigued by his teaching. Some were touched by Jesus. They were healed by Jesus. They were set free by Jesus. But in essence, people were sort of still living life um, sort of in a normal way, Uh, pre-crucifixion and then Jesus dies he's crucified on a on a Roman cross and is hung with the shame of all of humanity sort of draped over his shoulders and people watched him die and everybody agreed that he died there wasn't anybody there that day that thinks he didn't die eyewitnesses from his followers to Roman soldiers they all verified the death of Jesus and in multiple ways And then Jesus is taken down from the cross and he's placed in a tomb. But then three, on the third day, he's crucified on a Friday, he's raised on a Sunday. On the third day, Jesus' body has gone missing and nobody really can explain it other than his followers who believe that he's been resurrected from the dead. His followers who claim to, who have seen Jesus after his death, after his resurrection, who have had conversations with Jesus. Jesus begins to show up in locked rooms And appears to his disciples, his followers, and he begins to talk with them. Later, the Apostle Paul would write that there were roughly 500 people at the time of his writing a particular letter in the scriptures. About 500 people or so who had seen Jesus after the resurrection. In other words, he's like, go talk to them. These 500 people or so, they've all seen Jesus. I mean, how do you... I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just slow down because I've got some things I want to say and I have an order in which I want to say them. Look, the idea is this, that we can't go back to normal life if we really believe in the resurrection. And I don't know what your normal life is, but we just can't go on living as as if this Ultimate moment in history didn't exist. If we're we're a Christian community, and we are, then we believe in the resurrection. And it's out of that resurrection that all of these followers of Jesus who were interested in some degree or another become a people. The resurrection pulls people together. It creates the Christian community. And what I want you to see is that the primary purpose of the church, the Christian community, is not to feed the poor, although we should do that is not to even care for one another's needs, although, yeah, we should do that. It is to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we move toward the pain in the world, we do that because we are bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Taking care of the poor is not a means, uh, is not an end unto itself. It is a means by which we fulfill our great purpose, which is to say, in light of the resurrection, this is how we live. This is what we do. The resurrection forms the people of God and informs the way that those people live. And so that's why we're all here today. We are here together as the gathered church in New York City. We are here today to bear witness, public witness, to this entire city and ultimately to the world of the resurrection of Jesus. We're calling this teaching series Witness. And, and, and so... What we're going to do over the next few weeks is anchor ourselves to the book of Acts and see how the early church, the very first, sort of the beginning of the community begins to emerge and how those people begin to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus and the mission and and, and begin to move forward the mission of God to make all things new in light of the resurrection. So uh, the the passage that uh, Tobias just read, Acts chapter 4, is where we'll be today, starting at verse 32, just a couple of verses. So if you have a Bible app or your Bible, I want to invite you to turn uh, to that. Now, while you're doing that, I I want to just mention that this past Wednesday commemorated the 50th anniversary of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s death. And um, I was reading this week about a guy named Clarence Jordan. Have you guys, do you guys know who Clarence Jordan is? Clarence Jordan was a farmer, but he was also a New Testament Greek scholar. I'm neither one. Of those things but Clarence was both of those things. Clarence helped to found a racially integrated community in Sumter County, Georgia during Jim Crow and they called the community the Koinonia farm. Some of you have read about this or heard about this and uh, if you've been in church for a little bit you maybe have heard the term Koinonia before. Koinonia is a biblical Greek term for fellowship. It's it's the word that we translate into English as fellowship, and you find that in Acts chapter 2, particularly where we see that uh, the resurrection community had begun to gather with one another, and they shared in this thing called koinonia, which was sort of this radical fellowship with one another. It also, um, though it's not, the term itself isn't used in our text today, Acts chapter 4, that is what is being described in, in our text today the koinonia, or the resurrection fellowship of Jesus, um, is, is is what's being talked about. And it's what this uh, farm was named after. The members of the koinonia farm, they were guided by three principles. All all possessions were held in common, nonviolence as an alternative to violence, and that all brothers and sisters are equal under the parentage of a loving God. What a beautiful way to live together as a as, a, as an integrated community in the, in the midst of a very difficult time in our history. Well, as their farming, they actually farmed, and as their farming endeavors became more and more successful, active resistance against the community began. Uh, it was in the early 50s, and, and that included the excommunication of the founders from their Southern Baptist church. They were excommunicated because of their views on pacifism and on racial equality. Uh, when the Supreme Court ruled on Brown v. Board education and an ordered school desegregation, hostility towards the Koinonia farm increased. Um, People began to boycott uh, the products that were grown on the farm. Uh, The farm came under attack. Fruit stand was blown up, um, out of which they sold uh, produce to the community. Shots were fired into Koinonia homes from the highway. Uh, Dorothy Day was there. Dorothy found the Catholic charities down here in New York. Uh, on the Bowery, and and Dorothy Day was, was visiting the Koinonia farm, she was there, and the day that she was there, someone fired a shotgun into a vehicle where she was, and praise God, nobody was hurt. But Clarence Jordan eventually receives a letter of support from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That was in 1957. And in 1960, students from Koinonia farm, I thought this was interesting, they became the first whites in the history of the United States to be refused admittance to a local public school. See, just by being a part, of the community, you were considered an outcast or outside the norm or radical, and therefore uh, you lost rights. In the 70s, um, this place, this Koinonia Farm, became known as a, as a retreat, like a spiritual retreat, and civil rights workers used the farm, the Koinonia Farm, as a place to meet and a place to rest. What a powerful witness to the resurrection of Jesus in a very difficult place and in a very difficult time. What a powerful witness. That a group of people allowed themselves to be formed, not by the culture of the day, but by the resurrection of Christ. To say, where we live and where we are, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. This is what the Christian community is. The Christian community, including our church, Trinity Grace Church, is fundamentally this. It is the visible and the verbal witness to the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, we're nothing if we're not these things. We're nothing if we're not bearing witness as a community in the way that we are with one another and the words that we say, if, those, if that way and those words aren't bearing witness to Jesus and his resurrection. Right, before, right after Jesus was resurrected and before he ascended, To heaven, Jesus said these words. These are his last words. Many of you will be familiar with these. These are his last words to his disciples. He says, after promising that he was going to return, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Not, I would appreciate it if you would bear witness, but by their very existence, Jesus isn't prescribing the kinds of things that they should do and saying you should become my witnesses. What he's saying is because my Holy Spirit will be on you, you will bear witness. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts is about. It shows us what the church looks like and it shows us what the church sounds like when it is being a witness or bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Tobias read the teaching text. I won't go all the way through that again. I just want to answer three quick questions this morning. One is, what is happening in the text? What is happening at this moment in history among these people? Um, uh, How is it happening? And then why is it happening? And then I want to draw a couple of implications. But the first today is this, first question, what has happened or what is happening? Well, when we go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it's really plain. You don't have to do a bunch of digging here. It's right on the surface. Um, Luke, the physician, uh, this man who had lived his life in close proximity to Jesus, he writes the book of Acts, and he's writing here, he says that they were of one heart and soul, in other words, what's happening post-resurrection in the community of Jesus is that they have, they're have sharing in a kind of unity or a kind of togetherness that was uncommon. In other words, this community becomes a radical statement of their relationship to one another. They are of one heart. They are of one soul. And then the second thing that Luke says is happening is that no one claimed own private ownership of any possessions because everything was held in common. So not only does this community, this resurrection community, become a radical statement in their relationships with one another, but become a radical statement or a radical witness to the resurrection of Jesus in their relationship to things. And so I want you to think about this community in two ways. This community is a society, but this community also has an economy. And both the way that they related to one another in this society and the way that they engaged in the the economy with one another, these two things bore a powerful witness to the greater community of the resurrection of Jesus. Because people in this day weren't of one heart and one soul and the greater community was not sharing in in this kind of economy and this kind of generosity towards one another. The point is that the resurrection of Jesus forges new communities of light, and of light. Is that what's happening here among us? I I hope so. I think it is, that the resurrection of Jesus is forming this church, this community, into a new kind of community, a community of light, and a community of life in New York City. This is where the meaning of the resurrection is progressively discerned. It's in this radical community of together. It's where it's demonstrated. It's where the resurrection of Jesus is learned. It's where it's lived out. It's in this community of faith that's been born out of the resurrection. Church is not a weekly worship service. I think most of, you, most of us get that. But it is a community radically shaped by the resurrection of Jesus into a new society with a new economy. Why do we pray this generosity prayer we've this prayer's been around TGC for a long time and over the course of time different Trinity graces have dropped different portions of it and they've truncated and they just get uh, tired of it I, I I just feel like man we've gotten rid of this generosity prayer we haven't used it at times and then there was an uprising in our community why is it so important that we pray this generosity prayer every single week because I think it's fundamental to who we are I think we've experienced at least glimpses of this enough in our short history together these glimpses of a different kind of society, a society of light, a society of life. We've, we've gotten glimpses of a different kind of economy where we've shared in one another's needs. We have a diaconate fund, and that fund is, um, is, is filled by your giving. You have given money, and that money has gone into this diaconate fund. D- diaconate is connected to the idea of deacon, which is this, this, this way of serving one another in the church. And many of you participated in the diaconate fund, not only in giving, but in receiving. That money is given so that we can share, with what we, we share what we have with one another. The hope and the idea is that there wouldn't be a needy person among us, that when the needs arise, they get met. They get met by the, the radical generosity of this community. Um, oftentimes, needs don't even get presented to us for the diaconate fund because in small groups, you're taking care of one another's needs already. I mean, many of you are in this room and you've contributed to or participated in a small group that has helped to pay your rent or to help pay the rent of somebody else in your community. You've helped to fly somebody home when there was an unexpected death. You've you've cared for one another. You've loved one another. You've expressed this kind of thing. I think this is what God's doing because this is normal in the resurrection community, this kind of life. But it is abnormal outside of it. I hope you see that. I'm not saying that there aren't generous people outside of the church. But what I'm saying is... Only the Church of Jesus Christ is being formed and forged by the resurrection of Jesus in a way that radically changes how we live with one another. They were of one heart and they were of one mind. Nobody kept their things to themselves, but they shared everything. It was as if everybody had all of this stuff in common. That's interesting. Because there's very little that these people have in common with one another. Many of them were pilgrims to Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' resurrection. And instead of going back to their homes and their normal lives where they lived, they stayed in Jerusalem with one another. They had different languages, different nationalities, different means or level of means. And yet they still held everything in common. It was a community where there was not a needy person. Because that's the kind of community the resurrection creates. Uh, If you want to look at John 20 or just mark that or make a little note of that, you can go back and look at that yourself later this week. I just want to read. This is also an encounter post-resurrection. The grave is empty. There have been some Jesus sightings. Rumors are flying around. People are bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is not dead any longer. He's been raised from the, the dead. And then we read this. This is a familiar passage. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So what's happening here? It's the first day of the week, the first day of the Jewish work week, the day when Israel, including the disciples of Jesus, are attempting to get back to their normal lives after a particularly bloody weekend. And unfortunately for them, the yearning to get back to business as usual is disrupted by the appearance of a man that they saw, they watched die. He appears among them, He kicks open the door, that's figuratively, not literally, it just says it appears. He appears in their midst. And he speaks commands and he commissions them and then he disappears. How do you go back to normal life after that happens? The book of Acts has the answer, you don't. You don't. The resurrection of Jesus is a creative force of community formation and fellowship. And this is how the church bears witness to the resurrection in its radical alternative way where we can gather from different places with different languages, different nationalities, with different means and be of one heart and of one soul. That is a powerful witness. That's what's happening, but how is it happening? Look at verse 33, Acts chapter 4. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony or witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power and great grace. I want to make the argument this morning. I think this is how the radical community of the resurrection is forming it's forming, it's able to form like this because there is something true of the community that it isn't true of any other kind of community. And that is that it is full of great power and great grace. Where does the great power and where does the great grace come from? So you don't have the benefit necessarily this morning of having read the context of the story, but I'm going to back up just to verse 31. Listen, this is Acts 4, same chapter, right before... We read our teaching text for today. After they prayed, the believers are together, and after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the followers of Jesus post-resurrection, they have something they didn't have before. Yeah, they had Jesus before, but now they have this Holy Spirit. Now, listen to the Apostle Paul. He would write these words in a letter to the Ephesians a few years later. Listen to what he says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul says, I, I'm praying that you, your eyes will be opened to see the hope of God, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, this great power that is in the community, the resurrection community, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. I mean, what a statement. That the that power, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power in the church in Acts chapter 2 and now in Acts chapter 4 and then throughout the New Testament, and even today, it is the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit that is released in a a resurrection community, enabling the community to become what God had in mind for it to become and has in mind for it to become. The idea is that not only did the Spirit raise Jesus from the dead, but that same Spirit also raises us from a dead way of being to a new life, a new light, a new way of being with one another. That's new power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But what's this grace? Well, grace is a a kind of power as well. Grace is the power of God that enables Christians to live the new life in Jesus. Grace frees us and equips us and empowers us to live in the new reality post-resurrection. Listen, some of you guys know who Stephen was. Stephen was a a follower of Jesus, and he was counted among these early believers. He's serving in the church. He becomes the first martyr that we know of in the scriptures. He's the first one who's put to death because he he bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus and proclaimed it. Listen to Acts 6, chapter 8. This is a little description. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. What I love about this is we have a community being defined by great grace and great power. And we have the individual members of the community also being defined as people who have great grace and great power. Our The grace and the power of God that is unleashed in the community, we take with us. It is granted to us as individual followers of Jesus to live Connected to the community, the resurrection community, and to live personally as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit always brings the grace and the power of God with him. We long for the presence of God, for the presence of the Holy Spirit, for this reason. And we cannot live the resurrection life without the grace and power of God. Grace isn't a goal, we don't try to get more grace. By definition, grace is a gift. It's the unmerited favor and kindness of God lavished upon a resurrection people. And if we're not careful, as I was reading this text, I began to find myself sort of leaning in this particular direction. And I imagine that our community would also probably lean in this direction. So I just want to say to reduce this story or any story of the early church, the resurrection community, to a checklist of how to behave post resurrection uh, is to miss the point. I also want to make this point. Scholars pretty much agree that Acts chapter 4 is not prescriptive, in other words, God has not inspired Luke, the biblical author, to write this so that we will have a blueprint of how then to live our lives. It's descriptive. Much like we might be able to go back and read about Koinonia Farm and the descriptive things that were happening there. We go to Acts chapter 4 and we read about the descriptive things that are happening in the resurrection community because the grace of God and the power of God are for a particular people in a particular time to live as a resurrection community facing the particular challenges and opportunities that exist in that time and in that place. So to reduce the testimony of Acts 4 as a checklist of behaviors is to miss what great grace entails. Great grace is the unmerited favor and power, empowerment of God to live as a distinct community today in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So we receive great grace as a testimony of God's resurrection power, and that that animates our life, the life of the church, which opens possibilities for a faithful response. So we can see what's happening for ourselves among the resurrection community, and we can understand how it's happening if we understand that it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes this possible. But why was it happening? We can see what was happening and how. But, but what pushed this community over the edge? What, what, what motivated them? What sort of unlocked this community to be a resurrection community? I'm, I'm keenly interested in the answer to this question this morning for our own church. I mean, what was it about these people because I, I, I know many of you share this with me, I so desire for this church to be a community of life and light where we are. I, I so desire for this church to be a place of light and life and hope. I so desire this church to be a place of healing, of restoration. I know you share in that with me. So how can we be this? What was it about these people? Why did it happen? Because maybe if we understand the why here for these people, then our church can begin to live as a resurrection community and bear witness in our time and in our place just as powerfully as the Koinonia farm in their day, just as powerfully as the early church in Acts chapter 2 and here in Acts chapter 4. Why did it happen? The first verse, now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Why did it happen? I think the answer to that question is because they believed. It's because they believed. Now the whole group of those who believed experienced this. What did they believe? Well, they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. (laughs) And that belief changed everything for them. I mean, everything. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, also wrote, of course, the gospel of Luke. And he records these words of Jesus from earlier. In Jesus' ministry, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 through 33, this is what they overheard Jesus say. He said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. I mean, Jesus had said this while he was alive in his ministry before he was crucified, before the resurrection. And he tells them to not be afraid. He helps them to recognize what the Father has actually given them. He's given them the whole kingdom. And because they believed that, they were freed then to give their possessions to one another. Because what's the point of owning land? Or what's the point of owning houses when Jesus has risen from the dead and he's coming back? What's the point of hoarding our belongings or our possessions when Jesus has delivered on the promise to give us everything, to give us the kingdom? What's the point of going on with life as usual when the Jesus you watch to die suddenly appears in the room that you've locked yourself in? John Wesley said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. That's perspective. And the resurrection changes our perspective because once you believe that Jesus is no longer dead, that he's resurrected from the dead, everything changes. German theologian Rudolf Bultmann said that Jesus was resurrected into the faith of his disciples. What I think that means is this, that belief unlocks the power and the grace of God present among us. I want to say that again because if we have faith in Jesus and we, we hold the scriptures to be true, and we do, and authoritative then we, we would understand from the scriptures that as a follower of Jesus, as a person who's put our trust in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We're also to believe that whenever we gather together like this, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is here with us. So if the presence of the Holy Spirit always brings great grace and great power, then what's holding us back? It's not God. He's given us everything we need to be everything he has in mind for us to be. What's lacking is belief. Belief unlocks the power and the grace that is inherent in a people of God. And belief is not so much the result of a decision. Because I I think what we're trying to do already in your mind, you're trying to muster up your belief now. You're trying to figure out, well, then how do I believe? Or where is my belief lacking? And how can I just believe more? And I could just try harder. But belief is not the result of a decision as much as it is the result of an encounter. Why did these early Christians believe? Not because they chose to. Not because they had a decision to make. They encountered the risen Jesus. And they believed. if we lack belief that transforms us, this community into a resurrection community that bears a compelling witness to our city and to the world, it won't be because we haven't tried hard enough. It will be because we really haven't encountered Jesus. So how do we... Step in at the beginning of this Easter season. How do we step in? By faith. How do we step into this vision of a resurrection community? A vision that is full already of God's grace and power. A community that already has everything that we need. Waiting to be unleashed. How do we step into it? And then how can you personally step into it? Just I'm going to go through these very quickly. Just three things. Number one. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Ask boldly for an encounter with the risen Jesus. Before you try anything, lock yourself in a room and wait for Jesus. If if you know that story in John chapter 20 where Jesus appears to the disciples and he keeps saying, peace be with you, peace be with you, they're freaking out. Then, then you know that there was a disciple who wasn't there that day. It was Thomas. And I actually think Thomas has great faith. And we see Thomas demonstrate that throughout the ministry of Jesus in particular ways. But you remember what Thomas said? This is in, this is in John 20, that same story. This is verse 25. I'll read you his words. When the disciples say, listen man, he was here, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side i will not believe well that's a big deal because it all rides on our belief and in order for the grace the great grace and the power the great power of god to be unleashed in thomas's life he had to believe but he hadn't seen jesus and so I'm, ask, I'm, I'm imploring you, I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you to be like Thomas. He gets a, such a bad rap. Thomas is bold enough to radically demand the one thing that we all need to believe, which is an encounter with the risen Christ. Boldly ask for an encounter with the risen Jesus. Number two, hold all things by the light Of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? I want you to think about your life this way If the resurrection, then, fill in the blank. If the resurrection, then what about my identity? If the resurrection, then what about my relationship? If the resurrection, then what about my work? If the resurrection, then what about my failure? If the resurrection what about my loss? If the resurrection what about my success? If the resurrection then what about my past? If the resurrection then what about my future? If the resurrection then what about my body? If the resurrection then what about my choices? If the resurrection then what about my money? If the resurrection then what about my time? If the resurrection then what about this church? If the resurrection then what about everything in my life? How do we step into this resurrection community? We ask boldly for an encounter with Jesus and we have to hold all things in light of the resurrection. And then finally, number three, I think there is something we can do which I think is to commit to radical togetherness with one another. Commit to radical togetherness. Resurrection faith that does not profoundly shape the way that we are with one another, it lacks depth of meaning. And it has no appeal. Meaning, if the way we are with one another doesn't tell a compelling story or paint a compelling picture to the world around us, then what's the point? If, if people can't look in on our community or come and visit and experience it for themselves, and I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning, I'm talking about when we open our homes and our living rooms and when we serve with one another and we eat with one another and we go out and we watch movies with one another and we serve in the community with one another. If people can't be around us and a part of us and not be so overwhelmed and compelled by the light and the life of this community because of uncommon grace and uncommon power among us, then we've missed it. And so our faith, this resurrection faith, I think must translate into a way of being, the way we make choices about the way we are going to be with one another. Uh, I was talking with Angela. Angela Brown leads our our pre-service prayer time uh, every Sunday morning. And Angela was sharing, as they often do, the team will share what they sensed God sort of saying in their time together before the service. And right before I came up here, Angela shared that, Uh, They they had a sense that like, um, we we should pay attention to Jesus' words about uh, uh, blessed are those who don't take offense to the words of Jesus. That those who hear Jesus and, and aren't offended by that, they enter into God's blessing. And I think that has some sort of application here. Because to to commit to radical togetherness begins when we can hear the words of Jesus together and take them to heart. We're not offended by them. We're not offended by the idea of getting rid of some stuff so that someone else in our community might have what they lack. That doesn't offend us. We embrace it. We welcome it. We love it. That we're not offended by the words of Jesus when he tells us and we come in together and we mourn when we mourn the brokenness of the world, just right outside these doors, when we come together and we mourn that, that we're not offended when we encounter Jesus' words to love our enemy and to love those who hate us, to not be offended by Jesus' words. But I think there's another thing here about committing to radical togetherness with one another, and that is that we cease to be offended by our words to one another. Because in light of the resurrection, who has time to get all upset about little things. So if we're easily offended by one another, it might be because we've, we've stopped seeing things in light of the resurrection of Jesus. When we're offended by something, the way that the church does something or doesn't do something, or the lack or the slow response by the pastor, I love you and I'm sorry about that, In fairness, you, you offend me too. I just want to say that for the record. Sometimes. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I, I am committed to radical togetherness with you. And what I love about you is I think you're committed to that too. And what we need to step into this is to just start living it out. Jesus, come come visit us. We need an encounter with you. Jesus, help us to see all things in light of the resurrection. And Jesus, help us to commit to radical togetherness with one another. Let me just close with these questions. Number one, what version of what we read about in Acts chapter 4 today, what version of that do you think is possible today for us as a church? I mean, if, if Acts chapter 4 wasn't written about the early church, but it was written about Trinity Grace Church in April of 2018, what would be some of the descriptive things that the gospel writer would write about us? What do you think is possible? Let's use our imaginations. Number two, what would a koinonia farm, is another way of asking the same question, but what would a koinonia farm look like if it were started, not by a farmer theologian in Jim Crow, Georgia, but if it was started by us? this community, in this city, today? And then finally, what might God do through a church like ours if it stood as a witness to the resurrection of Jesus? In our words and in our way, what might God do? Let's pray. Father, we receive not my words today. Uh, God, if there's anything that I've said today that isn't of you, would you just let that fall away quickly and help us to just simply retain your word, the written word of God that has been read and the implications of those words on our lives today. God, I thank you that no matter how passionate I am or we are about this community realizing its full redemptive potential and being a part of that and what that might mean for our lives. As as passionate as we are about it, God, you are even more passionate. So come, Holy Spirit, just come. We want to encounter the risen Jesus. And God, many of us in this room, we need you. We don't just want to encounter you. We, We are desperate right now for you. So would you show up in the room? Father, you've given us everything we need to be a resurrection community. Would you help us believe? Would you help us believe? And make us everything you have in mind for us to be. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name.